Bernie Kaminsky, welcome to Full Cast and Crew Podcast. Thanks for inviting me. I am thrilled that you're here. Bernie's TV producer, writer. Uh, what else are you, Bernie? That's about it. No. Paper mache <laughs> artist. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm obsessed with this. Oh, cool. Bernie makes these incredible real-life objects out of paper mache, a lot of them drawn from your 70s and 80s childhood right. nostalgia. So yeah. you make beer cans and baseball logos. Uh, how did you get into this? And when did you discover that you were actually an incredibly talented artist, <laughs> which is what you are? Oh, thanks. A couple of years ago, my daughter did a paper mache project at school. She brought it home. I thought it looked super, super cool. I, you know, we had it on, uh, displayed in the living room. And then I said, let's do another one. And we we made one and I made a basketball and I thought it turned out kind of cool. I was, you know, thought. Uh, and then I started just started thinking like, I, well, maybe I can make a baseball. And then I was like, well, maybe I can make a baseball and put fake signatures from players on it. And then they just got me thinking about other random stuff. Like I, I, I thought I liked the way that they turned out. I liked, you know, I didn't have a ton of control over how they turned out. And the way that they turned out, I thought looked kind of cool. And then I just kept thinking of things that I wanted to make. And then also just the process of it, I found very relaxing. Mm. It was like when I was stressed about other stuff, uh, mm -hmm. that it was something that I had total control over. And I did it in my apartment with my family around, listened to music. And it just ended up being like a fun way to spend time. And when I have free time, I do it a lot. I, you know, you do it a lot. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, follow Bernie on Instagram and it seems like every day you have some incredibly complicated paper mache relic that gets an incredible response. You should probably get an account just for the paper mache because Maybe. you would be a viral sensation. Right. I'm totally with you because we're probably about the same age. I found sort of falling into doing the podcast is sort of my version of what you're talking about because we both have had kind of similar career arcs where once you have been in the business for long enough and you're sort of in charge of things, you lose a little bit of the hands-on making of things that when you and I started in the TV business, that's what our jobs were, is to physically make, not physically, but make something from nothing. Right. Then you start managing people who are making something from nothing. So you're sort of a step removed. And I've found doing the podcast and editing the podcast particularly has put me back in touch with that stuff that in my career, it was kind of a bunch of years ago when you and I worked together right. in the late 90s over <laughs> yeah. at VH1 Networks. So I think it's great later in life as it is to find yeah, these things. That's exactly right. That, you know, that I became a little bit less hands-on on some stuff. Mm -hmm. And this was just something where it was like, oh, this is something that, that they're totally my ideas and yeah. how I want to do them. If they stink, it's my fault. And uh, so th that's been fun. And I've noticed a couple of times that you've actually seems like you've gotten commissions Recently, for the longest time, people would ask if I would make stuff, and I would say no, that they, they take a long time, and it didn't seem worth it to me. And then for a few things, people have asked, and I've said yes with a bunch of disclaimers that they take a long time. You might get it six months from now. You might not, you might not get it be at thrilled all. How, <laughs> with how it turns out. There, I work within my you know, limited artistic ability. There's some, sometimes people ask me for stuff and I'm like, I can't do that. I can't really draw so well. I can't, you know, I, I am good at, you know, mm -hmm. certain objects or things that don't require a lot of talent, like as being well, as- Well, you're very good as at logos. Well, that, those are pretty easy. I mean, there's I some know. stuff that I've gotten a little bit better at, uh, I, I but yeah, that, I've had a bunch of requests and- uh, They're real art. I mean, you have a distinct style. If I saw one anywhere, I would know that you made it. That's right. the mark of a, of a real artist. Oh, cool. So did you ever think that you would become an artist in your life? Um, I liked I, I was into art when I was a kid. Okay. And I, uh, 
when I was a little kid, that's kind of what I thought I would do. I was mm-hmm. I could draw well when I was a kid, and then I got to be like junior high age, mm-hmm. and I saw other kids that were like copying album covers and uh-huh. that were like uh, that more more advanced than I was. Like mm-hmm. my, I kind of reached as far as I could you go. With, yeah, or at least I did. Like I didn't I didn't take the initiative to try to get better beyond that. I got discouraged and right. didn't do it. But I was all like I've always been interested in art, and for the longest time I would look at stuff and say. And if I could paint, I would like I would want to do something like that. I would mm. see stuff and and uh, or, or sculptures and thought like if I had talent, I would do my version of this in some way. So when I started doing it, I had all these ideas of things that I wanted to make. Okay, well, Bernie, we're here today to talk about a movie you suggested, which I loved and is perfect for you because you're from Chicago. Correct. You're a diehard baseball fan. Um, uh, more when I was a kid, but uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. And you selected Bad News Bears. Mm-hmm. Hey, Engelbert. What? There's chocolate all over this ball. Look, Mr. Buttermaker, quit bugging me about my food. People are always bugging me about it. My shrink says that's why I'm so fat. So you're not doing me any good, so let's quit. Okay, okay. Man, of all the movies, and we've probably done 75 episodes of the podcast, I have to say I probably enjoyed watching Bad News Bears more than almost any other movie we've watched on the podcast because I'd forgotten how how smart and funny and good it is. Mm-hmm. It's so many different things. When did you first encounter Bad News Bears? Well, I heard about it when it came out. It came out the spring of 76. Yep. There was a debate within my family about going to see it. My dad wanted to take me, and my mom said, I think it might be a little too raunchy. I was nine, I guess. It's not and, even, uh, it wasn't rated R, was it? No. Right. But it had a reputation of that there were like <clears throat> that it was kids swearing, smoking. Right. And uh, <laughs> my mom said, I don't know if that's appropriate. And I was kind of a wimpy kid and said, like, if there's doubt as to whether I should see this or not, I'll err on the side. I don't want to see it. Okay. And it was, I think, the next year, it was still in a theater. I saw it like with friends. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was in Little League. It was, you, you know, it's, it was like, oh, that's all this stuff is just like what I'm doing right now. It really resonated. Uh, all the, the anxiety and, you know, how the adults were and everything really was like, oh, I can't, you know, I can't. This is like the closest thing to what I'm going through right now. It is so spot on for uh, I, too, was a wimpy kid and in Little League in the most pathetic and embarrassing fashion. I remember the only time that I came up to bat in a in a tough spot, the coach pinch hit for had someone pinch hit for me. Silo, yeah. You know, listen, Pat's gonna come in and hit on this one, you know. And you're just so crushed yeah. as a kid because yeah. you know you're not gonna get it done anyway. I mean, I knew that stepping up to the plate that I was not going to get a hit. Yet, you still kind of have the small, tiny kernel of self belief right. that that maybe this is the time. And I still remember how crushed I was oh, sure. to be pinched hit for in that situation. And I, too, was on the worst team in the league because, okay. of course, the other thing they get so right is how rigged small-town, suburban, little yeah, league right. things are with these power coaches and sponsors. And then you always have one team. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is, is, it, is it really necessary to send in that lupus kid now? He hasn't played yet. I know that. I know that. But I but we've now still got a chance. Well, everybody on my team gets a chance play, to play. Right. Oh, come on. Don't give me that righteous bullshit. 
These kids have gone through too much for you to now throw play, it away now. Base. We've got a chance Number to win. Nine, Alfred, you started Over this thing so that all the boys would have a chance to play I'll baseball. Play Look, I know why I started this. But all the boys. Look, little boys hurt easily. Or maybe you haven't been watching what's been going on here this afternoon. Now get back to the stands before I shave off half your mustache and shove it up your left nostril. I don't think they could ever make this movie. I know they tried to remake it. I don't know if they kept in like a 14-year-old smoking like Kelly Lee because probably it's too politically correct even in what, 2005 when they remade it? Right. I saw the remake. I don't remember about, I don't remember about the smoking. I mean, it's amazing to even think that you could get a kid actor to smoke cigarettes or let <laughs> that kid actor's parents be like, okay, because uh-huh. to appear smoking on camera, as we know, you have to smoke a lot of cigarettes, right. take and take and take. Like this poor, you know, this poor 14-year-old. Yeah. Maybe that's why he was out of the business for so long after that. Perhaps. Um, so you saw it with your friends. Were you a big baseball fan at the time? Oh, yeah. I, like the focus of my life at that time, like 76 through like 80 was the peak of my fandom that, you know. The Chicago re- Cubs. Yeah. But read every baseball book in the library, watched any baseball related thing, mm-hmm. like no matter how, you know far from baseball it was anytime like a baseball player was on a TV show or yeah. any, it, you know, in the off season, anything related to baseball. If it was like celebrities playing softball. As the Happy Days team was saying hello to all the fans, the media all-stars were warming up for the most important game of their softball career. The Brewers themselves eagerly watched the game to see if they could pick up any pointers from the Happy Days team. Well, the game soon started. And in the bottom of the first inning, ex-Brewer and Channel 4 sportscaster Mike Keegan Prove that it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game that counts. As Henry Winkler strikes him out. Or whatever, mm. listening to spring training games on the radio, looking for the tiniest article in the offseason about any trades or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't 24-hour coverage at that time, and I tried to get my hands on anything and really obsessed over you know, everything that I could get my hands on, collect the baseball cards and all that kind of crap. Have you made any Bad News Bears related paper mache items yet? Sort of. I made a pair of uh, Stan Smith tennis shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw those, yeah. yeah and, uh, <clears throat> Were those in homage of uh, Buttermaker? <laughs> well, you know, those shoes are fashionable now, but the, those were the shoes that Walter Matthau wears in Bad News Bears. And those are the sho- I, I wore those in high school through mm-hmm. college. I still, ha- still have a pair. And when there was, a re- there was a resurgence of those shoes, maybe like in 2014 mm-hmm. or 15 or something like that. But I always think like, no, those were the shoes that, but- <laughs> that Buttermaker wore. Right. Um, so that's the closest thing so far. God, Mathau. I mean. <sighs> Look, Amanda, you're a terrific kid. You shouldn't be hanging around with me. I mean, I'm an old, broken-down, third-rate ball player. I like to drink too much. I like to smoke my cigars without anybody bothering me, including you. I'm happy that way. I'm a bum. No, you're not. You taught me how to pitch. You taught me how to... God damn it! Can't you get it through your thick head that I don't want your company? If I did, I would have looked you up two years ago. I wouldn't have waited two goddamn years. Did you ever think of that? I guess they considered uh, Warren Beatty and Steve McQueen for the role. I read. Yeah. 
but no one could do this like Walter Matthau. He is so funny in the movie. <laughs> like, he, you know, the reason that I've seen it as many times as I have is because he just makes me laugh. That uh, it just the way, you know, even without dialogue or anything, just his expression and his whole demeanor. And he really embodied the character. And, you know, I think that Warren Beatty probably would have been funny. It would probably have been totally different. I don't, yeah. I don't see him as like a washed up player. No. But uh, I think that he's like super funny and maybe yeah. would have made it something different. But I don't really believe that they got that. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? Steve McQueen, I don't see it at all. Like, I just, I don't, I don't think that he's like that. Steve funny. McQueen could probably embody the former ball player side, but right. Tatum O'Neill said, I don't think Steve was that funny. Although I think I've seen Steve deploy a little humor, but maybe more of the winking kind of, I don't know, more mental variety of humor rather than spoken humor. But just, I guess, the dynamic that I like so much of, you know, Walter Matthau taking it from Vic Morrow. and <laughs> Who's uh, great, by the way. <clears throat> he's so awesome in it. And just like him saying that he's a bum. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I just think that Steve McQueen would have been something yeah. different that his persona, you, you know, he, he he wouldn't have the same, like, nobility in being washed up and still, sure. like, having, you know, persevering that Walter Matthau did. With this quitting thing, it's a hard habit to break once you start. You're a damn good bunch of boys. Probably deserved a lot better than me. It looks like we're stuck with each other. Jimmy, grab a bat. Hangleberry, get your gear on, get behind home plate. What for? We need to practice. I thought we just made it a team. We took a vote. God damn it! Nobody's vote counts around here but mine. Get your gear on and get your fat ass behind the plate before I kick it up there. The rest of you pansy ass quitters, move your asses before I kick them all up there. Get in position. We got a game with the athletics next Wednesday, and that means only one thing bad news for the athletics. A wounded decency. Yeah. When you think of Walter Matthau, do you think of him primarily as a comic actor or do you think of him in a sort of different category? I think he's, I mean, I always think of him as a comic actor because right. like, even in the serious movies that he did, I thought he was really funny. Mm-hmm. He's always wry, I guess, right. even in a movie like Pelham 1, 2, 3. Right, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. still He's still funny. Right. Hey, come on, where's our next 144? Man, Santa calling Pelham 1, 2, 3. Come in. Hey, Frank, you're hogging all my circuits. What do you want from me? I got motorman calling me from all over the line. Well, tell him to shat up and get off the air and eat some more lines off from here. Well, well, I never two, thought I'd three, see the three. day when talking to murderers took priority over running a railroad. Get off it, will you, Frank? My only priority is saving the lives of these passengers. Screw the goddamn passengers. What the hell they expect for that lousy 35 cents to live forever? Oh, yeah, beautiful. The other thing with Bad News Bears is the humor is fucking hilarious. And some of the one-liners, I laughed out loud on my couch alone, which yeah. is a rare occurrence. Come on, fellas. Rome wasn't built in a day. Yeah, it took several hundred years. We lost 18 to nothing, but a crowd in the athletics are the worst team in the league. Second worst. Sorry, I forgot. So I know that the script is credited to, it's Bill Lancaster. Right. Burt Lancaster's son. Right. Who bizarrely also wrote The Thing. We're going to draw a little bit of everybody's blood. We're going to find out who's the thing. Watching Norris in there gave me the idea that maybe every part of him was a whole. Every little piece was an individual animal with a built-in desire to protect its own life. Yeah, and then (laughs) not much else. One of the strangest, shortest writing credits. 
Yeah, not much else. I mean, of his seven writing credits, one, two, three, five of them are related to, sorry, six of them are related to Bad News Bears, (laughs) and two of them are related to The Thing, screenplay, and then a character is created by. But I did read that his original screenplay was more focused on the Kelly Leak character, who I think was sort of loosely more based on Bill Lancaster's life as a kid, and maybe that the Vic Morrow character was supposedly based a little bit on the personality of Burt Lancaster. Oh, really? That's what I read. I don't know if these are true or apocryphal post-film stories. But then when Stanley Jaffe, who is the producer of Bad News Bears, mentions how the film got produced, he he references that once Michael Ritchie was attached as the director, that there was a lot of rewriting that went on and they sort of focused it more on the story of the the bears themselves and sort of less on the Kelly Leak side. Uh-huh. So I'm not sure if Bill Lancaster wrote some of those one-liners. Right. There's something I forgot to tell you guys. It's a league rule. Cups and supporters. Oh. Gotta be one at all times. Sister, you're fair. Well, either you wear them, give that one. Either you wear them or you don't play. Can we stop this already? We got another hour of practice. Yo me voy a poner esto, eso duele. What? What are you saying? I've been brushing up on my Spanish of late, and I think he's saying something about, you know, his being uh, Catholic, and it's a sin. Oh, for Christ's sake. So the writing and those li- those one-liners are so good. Even the first line in the movie, like it starts out, there's... You know, like a minute and a half goes by without any dialogue and see Walter Matthau. And a tricky shot, too, by yeah, the way, right. because that pan from the fields, which is pretty slow. And then I think, is that the Vic Morrow character working right, out his yeah. son? Yeah. And then just as the camera gets over, you you perfectly timed to have Walter Matthau's hilarious car, which uh-huh. would be a great paper mache. Uh, that would be a major project. To <laughs> that do would be out of my- uh, Open trunk right. with the pool cleaning supplies, yeah. the cooler of beer. Right. You could do that. Mm. <laughs> but then he doctors his beer up and starts right. to light a cigarette. And then you see a lighter come into frame and see that it's a 14-year-old kid light or a 12-year-old kid uh, lighting a cigar. And the Walter Matthau says, Thanks, mister. Thanks, mister. <laughs> and uh, like, I've seen the movie I don't know how many times. And I laughed out loud when I it's watched so it the good, other night. Man. It's not a... I'm, I mean, I think it was one of the highest grossing films of 1976, like maybe top three, uh-huh. which is understandable because it's so good. But it's also kind of like, what is it? Is it a kid's movie? Like you could see it marketed that way because right. aside from three or four adults, it's all kids. But it's very adult, yet it is about, I think the thing it sounds like you're responding to and that I responded to is sort of, it is about the light, the inner life of kids in a certain way throughout all these different characters. Uh-huh. You know, and their experience of competition and being a loser or being not good at sports. Um, it's that, too. And then it has these really dramatic turns. Mm-hmm. Like that yeah. scene between Walter Matthau and Tatum O'Neill in the dugout, man. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, it's <Jesus>. really good. <laughs> it's heavy. Right? Yeah. No, it's really – yeah, that's they both do an awesome job in that scene. It's really, really great. And she's crying and they cut back to him and he's got tears in his eyes. Uh-huh. What do you think about how they kind of handle the turn for like it's underplayed? Like Buttermaker doesn't have this big speech where he's like realizes the error right. of his ways and you know what? He does tell them like, look, just let's go out there and do your best. Like he realizes that he got carried away. Right. Like the Vic Morrow character. And he's being an asshole. And the kids aren't having fun. Because they're not having fun, they're not playing well. 
told you not to swing, you idiot. Get back here. Move it. Hey, Stein, get back in here. And God damn it, game, you Yankees stupid. Two, Bears, too. Everybody sit down. Come on, sit down. Sit down, Engelberg. What's the matter with you? Next time I tell you to do something, God damn it, you do it or else you're off this team. And the rest of you, what's the matter with you? All season long, you've been laughed at, crapped on. Now you got a chance to spit it back in their faces, and what do you do? You're out there like a bunch of dead fish, not listening, bonehead plays, mistakes. Honey, don't you want to beat those bastards? All right. Get out there now and do the best you can. And that the decisions he would need to make to ensure victory would go against the very soul of what they're trying to do. Right. Do you like that they don't give him this kind of grand speech oh, moment? I love it. I, I the that scene I think is is so great that uh, you know he has a little bit of a tantrum and then he looks at these kids and then I don't know how long it goes on of just everyone's faces and it cuts back and forth between him and the kids mm-hmm. and you see in his face that he is realizing that uh, that he's gone too far that Vic Morrow mm-hmm. is you know has gone too far that the adults are behaving inappropriately mm-hmm. and it's all in his face and I think that a lot of actors wouldn't be able to pull that off that's an amazing scene the scene where Vic Morrow smacks Brandon Cruz is was still shocking to uh-huh. me too I remember I watching it now and I probably haven't seen this movie in 25 years or something but watching it now I I forgot that was coming right you try to hit him didn't you no, just gotta run me! Try to hit him. Because when you see a movie like this, you don't expect at that moment that you're gonna get something like that in a movie that's as funny as this is, as irreverent as this is. But man, when he smacks his son, oh my god, that's a <laughs> that's a serious moment, you know? It's a I mean, shocking kind of moment. Right. And every and the way they this, to your point about the scene in the dugout. They just cut away to a bunch of shocked kid faces. Uh-huh. And Vic Morrow's face and his wife's face. Right. And it's again, there's a lot of like trust in the actors without dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one thing that the movie really got right. That in my experience, Little League was really a window into like Human what what, what adults <laughs> were, were like. It, you know, you would see your parents' friends or whatever, and that was one thing. But it was when you saw them in that context that you saw the extremes in adult behavior. And it was like, you know, you would see some, you know, have interaction with some kid at school or practice and they Mm. would have a bad temper or they would Mm -hmm. be like extra shy and you would, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you would see them with their parents parents. and be like, okay, yeah, now I get it. Now I- His uh, dad's a raving lunatic who's putting so much pressure on him. Right. And you would, you know, that for the longest time in the movie, Joey Turner is like the villain. He, you know, you see him hit that home run and mm-hmm. go around the bases with his arms over his head. And you're like, oh man, what a jerk mm-hmm. that kid is. And he, you know, dumps ketchup on lupus mm-hmm. and, you know, he's just like a traditional movie jerk kid. Yes. Hey, lupus, man, how's it going? <laughs> Give it. What do you need it for? You hardly ever play uh, anyway. Sit down. It. We was only kidding, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you see how that looks neat? <laughs> hey, if we had to do that to all the bears, we might play better. And then when his father comes and says, like, okay, you got to walk this kid. And he's like, no, I want to strike him out. Yeah. Then it's like, oh, no, he's a kid. And it's, you know, Vic Morrow is more, you know, 
you know, not the villain, but it, it does take this turn where mm-hmm. you see the kid in, in a different light. And, and that shot when, when Joey walks off the mound and holds out the ball for Vic Morrow and then just drops it at his feet right. and then just walks off silently with his mother. Great. Incredible. Yeah, I saw that a lot too. You would see this dynamic of, uh, you know, hothead dads and then moms mm-hmm. <laughs> were like, you know, all right. Like, you know, you know, that the sure. often the mom was the one that was a little more sympathetic. And of course, well, the dad's living out his own, you know, right. frustrated yes. sports career, probably the mom walking off. The, then that's in that shot. It reveals her crop top and yes. incredible pants. And, yes. Uh, it's pretty cool. Which also as a 13-year-old boy, you're probably <laughs> right, yeah. appreciative. Now, in your little league career, you took baseball very seriously. Were, did you Was it important for you to be good at the actual game of baseball? Was that part of your love and appreciation right. for it? I liked playing. I liked playing like with friends on our block and stuff like that. I had tremendous anxiety playing Little League, mm-hmm. um, but I felt pressure to, to get good. I played. But this one, was pressure you put on yourself. Uh, yeah, but it was, you know, it's like in the movie, like, you know— it, it seems like the end of the world if you sure. drop a fly ball or do something like that. Um, and of course, the irony is, and I was the same way. If we just stopped freaking out about the f- possibility of dropping the ball, we probably would have caught the ball. Sure, it's the anxiety itself which gets in the way of the act. And the yeah. best athletes don't really think like that, right? right. Yeah. If you're Manny Ramirez, it's because right. you don't have right. a lot going <laughs> yeah. on. You uh-huh. can just focus, yeah. hit ball, right? Mm-hmm. Left field and the Red Sox. Manny Ramirez with an absolute rocket into the Boston night, and the Red Sox lead the series two games to none. Having an eager and overactive imagination is not the ball player's friend. But I ended up getting to be like good, like fine. Okay. You know, did you have success it, on your team? I did. I was. I would say that I was underrated. <laughs> I have screenshots of my stats if we need to fill time. Okay, I, let's uh, hear them. I, I also have my, I would uh, like to hear them. my scorebook. From, oh my God, uh, he has an actual score. Okay, I want to hear some stats. Let me hear your best year. What are your What are the averages of your best year? All right. Wow. So th- these are stats you kept or these are online through Chicago area? <laughs> no, circa this, this, was the, the, this is not in my handwriting. This is uh, pulled from the scorebook wow. at the end of the year. Um, and I only bring this up. Well, uh, let's see. I, uh, I love that you have this with you. In 16 games, mm-hmm. uh, I hit I hit 425. Wow. I had the, the second highest average. Now, Kelly Leak hit 841. Hit so, for, sure. And Little League batting averages, Bernie, to be fair, they are historically fairly high, correct? Correct, yeah. The leading hitter on the team, Bill Barnowski, hit 496. He only played in 13 games. I played okay. in 16. So that's a very impressive batting average that you had. Uh, now, were, then, you a, were you hitting for power or were you no. a singles hitter? You were kind of a scrappy little... What uh, were you mostly at? singles. I never, I never... You weren't a big home run hitter. No, I didn't never hit a home run. That's very respectable, though. And the only reason I bring this up is because the perception <laughs> was that I, I wasn't like an, a great athlete. Right. That, that, I, that if you were to compare me to any of the Bad News Bears uh, characters... It would be closest to Ogilvy, who was like a stat nerd. Snap out of it, will you? Nobody said it was going to be easy. Don't look so glum. Well, we committed 24 errors. Their pitcher threw a no-hitter against us. But there is some good news. Two of our runners almost managed to get to first base, and we did hit 17 foul balls. That's right. That's the spirit. 
Come on, guys. Cokes and hot dogs on me. Come on. Yeah. This way. This way. Love Ogilvy. Yeah. And that jacket that Ogilvy know, has with I those know, patches, yeah. that know, brought me back. I feel like we had that jacket yeah. in the mid-70s. With the old I had a version of that jacket. I had a blue one. Not exactly like that. But. He is hilarious. Alfred Lutter III. Let's see. Did he go on to? Yeah, he, he worked for quite a while. Oh, he was Tommy. He was the original Tommy in Alice. Well, he was Tommy in Alice. Then he got and, replaced, right? And he was he was great. One of my all-time favorite child performances. Right. And Alice doesn't live here anymore. The dog grabs a girl and swings a girl around to us dead. Okay, I got it. But the joke is where the dog grabs it. Where? On the nuts. And that's the punchline of the joke. The dog grabs the gorilla by the nuts is the punchline? No, no, that's a major part of the story. You have to know that to get the punchline. Uh-huh. Now, do you know what nuts are? Balls. Right. All right, now, we'll go on from there. Now, what happens? Hey, come on, Tommy. Let me drive the car, will Let you? me just tell you the punchline, okay? Well, when the gorilla falls off the tree, you see what I mean by falling off the tree? Well, so when the gorilla falls off the tree, the hunter's yelling, shoot the dog, shoot the dog, shoot the dog. Because he get grabbed in the nuts and swung around till he's dead. Ain't that funny? <laughs> Tommy. That the gorilla. Tommy. It's, it's enough. The gorilla fell down, and the dog grabbed him by the nuts. Are you going to tell me this story again? No, I'm going to tell him to you until you understand it. I understand it. Now shut up. Then what's the joke? I don't know. All right, then I'm going to tell it to you again. No. He's really good, and Alice doesn't live here anymore. Mm -hmm. He's really funny. He's like the... Se second billing to Which Ellen Burstyn. Which is two years before Bad News Bears. Yeah. Bad News Bears, he's good, but you can already see that he's not going to go on to Why? be a movie Why star. Why do you think you can see that? I think uh, he just didn't, he wasn't as natural as he was. He's I think he's super, super funny in Alice's and Lincoln. Okay, I'll have to watch that And in, in, in what about Bears. the pilot for Alice? We, we, he didn't. You didn't think he. I, I, I only watched the opening credits. But I know that. I know that he was in the pilot, and then he was replaced. God, that's got to suck. Uh, replaced in the role you originated <laughs> in the movie. He did do Bad News Bears in Breaking Training, but he didn't appear in any other Bad News Bears movies. I guess he didn't go to Japan. Right. So that would be the. He's your closest kind of stat nerd, seeming kind of geek exterior. Yeah. Right. You know, when you got up to the plate, I, yes. did you have glasses too at this no, time? No, <laughs> I didn't have glasses till I was thirty. <laughs> um, right. So I think that the perception is that w that I was not a superior athlete and kind of a nerd, but I got a, I got a bunch of hits. I got a lot of walks. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, which is the mark of respect, respect right? <laughs> right, right? Intentional walks, or you had a, you had a good eye at the not plate. Not a good eye. You know, it took a lot of pitches. That's good. Um, so I've always been a little <laughs> defensive about you know when I've run into. Well, Bernie, I, mean, I, knew. I, I can't imagine when you brought your scorebook from 1975 oh, you yeah. that you ha somehow, why do you have the scorebook for the team? Uh, like Ogilvy, I, uh, I, I, I didn't keep the stats, but I, w I got my hands on the scorebook <laughs> at the end of the season. And you've preserved it for going on 35 years. Uh, 40 plus years, yeah. Have there been moments in your home where you sit down with your daughter and uh -huh. you try to show her like what's what? And she's like, yeah, dad. Yeah, no, totally. I, uh, I've, I tried to make the case to so many people that uh, I, I have the, uh, I got, I got a game ball in 1978 that's prominently displayed in mm -hmm. our apartment, and I'm always like, oh, what is, 
Did you guys know that I hit two triples in uh, this game? Did you guys ever win a championship of any kind? No, we lo- uh, my mm. team VFW lost the World Series in uh, 78. <laughs> Which obviously still stings. Uh, did you perform well in that game? I, I did. If you want, uh, I have clippings from uh, the local news coverage. <laughs> the local news game. coverage? Um, Kaminsky I, the, the, did come through for the squad. However, the uh, contest was marred yeah. by a brutal fight in the ninth, sixth inning. Um, I got two hits in that game. So when you saw this movie, you you saw yourself in Ogilvy primarily. Right. But maybe a little Kelly Leak, too. No, you could, not you that could, far, You could no. get a little... <laughs> <clears throat> Let's talk about Jackie O'Haley. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, the shots of him, I, I still think one of the coolest things I maybe have ever seen in a movie is when Vic Morrow kicks him off the bleachers. Uh-huh. And he has a cigarette and like one of those red sort of waxen Coca-Cola cups that he's drinking out of. Uh-huh. And they just do this incredible stare down shot. Uh-huh. And Vic Morrow is such a good actor yeah. that his face, as Kelly Leak is standing above him on the bleachers, and Vic Morrow's like really roughed him yeah. up and grabbed him and spilled his soda. And Kelly Leak stares down this grown man, and there is a flicker of fear and confusion on uh-huh. Vic Morrow's face. Then Kelly jumps down and doesn't like hop on the motorcycle and kickstart it the way you traditionally would. He starts it not even on the motorcycle. Okay. Do you remember that? He just kicks it with his left foot and it starts. Then he gets on it and takes off. It is one of the coolest fucking things you will ever see. And he just embodies that insane badass thing. Yeah. And it's one of the cool parts of the movie that they did that that thing that I remember to be true from like Little League Baseball, which is often that the quote unquote worst kid in the neighborhood is the best athlete. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) Kid that was like wearing jeans and, you know, that like. Smoked cigarettes and didn't want to do it and was a troublemaker, was the best. Like, that is something they completely nailed in this. Because you always think of like, oh, it's the jock kid who's right. always the best. But no. God, he's so good in this. Yeah. Let's see how many things he was in before this. Rusty on the Partridge Family. Okay. <laughs> Marcus Welby. Uh-huh. One of my favorite bad TV series to watch from the 70s. Uh, Planet of the Apes TV series, which I didn't even know was a thing. Oh, yeah, I watched that. Yeah. Shazam, Waltons, Bad News Bears, then... A lot of TV, yeah. Breaking Away. I bet you were a big Breaking Away fan. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's your major? Soch. Oh, Soch. That's a nice major, Soch. Say, uh, would you mind if I... What are you cutters doing here? Did you get lost? No. Well, then why don't you get lost now? Is that him? No. No, I don't think it is. No. Let's get out of here. Smart move, shorty. But he, uh, you know, at that point, it's like, all right, he's not like a kid. He's a teenager. Yeah. And uh, he also did Breaking Away, the TV series. Okay. You know, when you see those kinds of credits, I, I always feel kind of bad for <laughs> actors, right? Because, right. like, you can look at certain acting careers, and it's like they don't do the TV series. Right. Because they're too busy doing their good movie career. Right. I always feel a little bit retroactively sad for these actors where it's sort of like, yeah, I'll do it. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, know? like, uh, you know, Ellen Burstyn was in Alice. They got Vic yeah. Kitapak. And, and that's a different thing Ellie, in that Ellie era. Ellie Gould wasn't in MASH, but they got Gary Berghoff. And, uh, you remember Patrick Swayze was in MASH. Do you remember that episode? I don't. I just taped Dirty Dancing with okay. Marianne Sirk uh, oh, a couple cool. days ago. And I'm a huge Swayze fan, in addition to all of his other amazing kind of credits, like appearing uncredited in the Toto Rosanna video. But he did a great episode of MASH where his buddy is injured, and I think he has to give blood. Okay. He's uninjured, but in the process of giving blood, Hawkeye realizes that he has leukemia. Oh, uh, okay. And he has I'm to sure go through this whole kind of right. process of, of realizing that he's sick, even though he doesn't feel sick. And it's a great episode. So not long after, like, breaking away, he went a long time. He went, like, one of the greatest comebacks in movie history that yeah. went for over 10 years without being in a movie and then was... Yeah, so he worked pretty regularly up through 1993. Right. And then he didn't work again for 13 years. And I think was working as a some sort of a tech person in a warehouse doing logistics right. in Las Vegas. Yeah, had this kind of comeback, uh, really culminating, I think, in Watchmen was really the first thing I remember kind of being like, wow, he's back. Well, I think he, I, uh, I think he, it was wrong. Uh, I think he was nominated for an Academy Award for uh, Little uh, little Children. Was he? Maybe, I didn't see I Little know. Children. What is that? It's the Tom Perota book that. Oh, was, right. Todd Field. Whole columns of lonely women here and only a handful of men. The odds are on our side. Why wouldn't one of these women want to meet a nice person like you? You're not a nice person. You did a bad thing. But that doesn't mean you're a bad person. I have a psychosexual disorder. You better now. They wouldn't have let you out if you weren't. Let me out because they had to. Well, maybe if you found a girlfriend closer to your own age, you wouldn't have the bad urges so often. Don't want a girlfriend my own age, mommy. Wish I did. Kate Winslet, Jennifer Connelly, Patrick Wilson, who he would go on to star with in the superhero movie. He was in an episode of uh, Get a Life, the Chris Elliott show. He played like a relative, I think, of Chris Elliott, who Chris Elliott was jealous of. And I remember there was a scene where he was boasting about that, you know, he was well off and he said that he had $300 in his checking account <laughs> and got a big laugh. And he played Cousin Donald in that. Okay, right, yeah. Chris versus Donald. Yeah, that but, was 91. Uh, okay. So it was right before he kind of disappeared for a while. Get a life, God. That's one of those shows that could have been, huh? Yeah. Comic genius. Yeah. Now, when you were also in this era of 76, were you into any kind of counterculture humor at the time, or was it all baseball? Uh, no, I, I, you know, I, like, watched Saturday Night Live and SCTV and... Mad Magazine? Mad Magazine big into Mad Magazine and probably a little bit after that, National Lampoon and like mm -hmm. all, you know, all the movies that all the SNL cast was in and mm -hmm. like, you know. Did you then go on to follow any of the other Bad News Bears movies or do you have opinions about whether they're worth watching? Uh, I saw both of them. <clears throat> mm -hmm. um, Is Matthew in both of them? <laughs> no. <laughs> See? Uh, That's uh, like the equivalent no. of not, no. it's, it's Tony I, I, Curtis. Right. Uh, William Devane is in Breaking Training, and Tony Curtis is in Ghost of Japan. I saw both of them in a the theater. You know, like I said, mm -hmm. it was the period where anything baseball-related, I wanted to see. My mom took uh, me and my brother to Breaking Training, mm -hmm. and 
memory that I have of it is I felt kind of bad for my mom that she was sitting through this movie. That, Why, because uh, it's puerile humor? Like yeah. Fart it jokes? Like, it, I, I think that I hadn't seen stuff where, you know, the, the kids go off on their own. Like, mm-hmm. in, in Bad News Bears, it didn't seem that weird that there was no that no other adult th- that the kids weren't supervised. Yeah. It was part of the plot. But that these kids ended up in at the Astrodome without their parents. <laughs> it, it just seemed, I don't a know. too and, far and, out. And and I think, it, yeah, it was just like a little, like, you know, for a PG mm. kids movie, a little racier than. Um, I mean, I guess to the movie's credit, they didn't sort of cast William Devane as Buttermaker. They made him Kelly Leak's father. Right, right. So I guess you're supposed to learn more about the Kelly. Is it more of a Kelly Leak movie then? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. It's a little. It's a little more earnest, and maybe they went back to some of the stuff that was in Bill Lancaster's original screenplay and sort of repurposed it. Now that was a hit. It's like, why don't they just leave it enough? You know, like you don't have to. I guess. I mean, commerce is the reason. But I wonder why Mathau didn't do it. I don't know. After the first movie, where do you go? It's like okay, these kids went through this thing, and they. Mm someone could look at it and be like, well, what are they, what are they going to, are they going to get bad again and then get good and then <laughs> That's the lose problem. and, uh, you know, um, but I know that uh, the kid that played Engelberg mm-hmm. was not in it. Uh, I, you know, as much as I love Bad News Bears, I do feel that that, that was a little. <laughs> you think Engelberg is a weak link? I would just, no, I feel, you know, I, like. Movies have made a lot of progress as far as like, oh, you mean like doing away kid? with some stereotypes, but that's <laughs> one that's kind of like stuck around and uh, it they, they hit that pretty hard that they have. Them, uh, Come on, though. It's funny when he bites a candy <laughs> bar and eats the wrapper, though. I mean, it's pretty sure. funny. Uh, but I, I know that in this, I remember in the uh, breaking training, I remember seeing where the, they're in a hotel and that someone opens a bathroom door and Engelberg's on the toilet eating Kentucky, a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> And I like to think that maybe the actor in the first one got the script and was like, you know what? No. I'm not doing yeah. that. <laughs> Another great thing about Matthau in this movie, his, I don't want to call it just reverse psychology because he actually deploys a few different <laughs> right, yeah. psychologies per kid. Right. The incredible scene with Ahmad Abdul Rahim in the tree afterwards, right. which again, this is like, there's so many things in this movie that are so retroactively kind of weird but true to life. So, like, they have this terrible game where they get beat 26-0 by the Yankees, coached by Vic Morrow. And Ahmad Abdul-Rahim, who idolizes yeah. Hank Aaron, is up in a tree in his underwear because he's taken off his uniform because he doesn't deserve to wear the uniform. Too many errors. Right. And Matthau's scene with him is so brilliant. Yeah. Like, yeah. that he's he invents a fake story about Hank Aaron. Right. Thank God Hank Aaron didn't act like this. What? Don't give me that what. You know what I'm talking about. What's talking about? The 42 errors. 42 errors? Ah, come off it, will you, oh, man? Stop pulling my leg. You know what I'm talking about. You know all about Hank Aaron. His first year in Sandlot Ball, he committed 42 errors. He was nine years old. Broke his little heart. He damn near quit. Thank God for us, he didn't. There'd be no great old number 44. Buttermaker, you're so full of... It's common knowledge. For crying out loud, ask Ogilvie. I'm surprised you didn't know that. He's your favorite player, too. And he's like, you know, don't... You know everything about Hank Aaron. You know about the 42 errors in Sandlot Ball. And he does that across the movie with each kid in a different way that's so brilliant. You know what I'm a big math fan of is uh, Charlie Varick. 
Yeah, that's a good movie. Yeah, I would watch that again. I'm very obsessed with uh, Don Siegel, the director of Charlie Varick, who also did uh, Escape from Alcatraz. Oh, okay. The original Invasion of the Body Snatchers, oh, which that's we've done I... on the podcast. Well, no, no, no. He, uh, what's his name? Oh, you mean the original? Invasion. Yeah, the 56. Yeah, right. Yeah. He directed the black and white right. version. Great director. And Charlie Varick's a great crime movie. If you like crime movies yeah. and you love kind of great performance by the hangdog Walter Matthau, <laughs> right? He's really funny in Fortune Cookie. I mean, he's really funny in a bunch of movies. He's funny in everything. Yeah. He has now, a small part in uh, that uh, the movie Bigger Than Life. He's like fr- fr- the friend of James Mason. Bigger Than teacher. Life. What's and, that uh, Nicholas Ray, James Mason, is a teacher who starts taking cortisone. Uh, what? To, for what, s- what year are we in here? 56, maybe? 57. He starts taking cortisone. I think it's cortisone. He starts taking some drug. To what end? Turns him into an egomaniac. Uh, a seriously ill school teacher becomes dependent on a miracle drug that begins to affect his sanity. Hmm. That's worth checking out. It's a good really? movie. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to add it to my watch list. I, I, there's not enough written about the making of The Bad News Bears. It's weird. Which is weird because it is absolutely deserving of the type of featurettes that yeah. we've encountered on other movies on the podcast. Yet there really isn't anything. I found one article. You can find articles going back and revisiting with the cast. Right. But there really isn't a treasure trove of making of anecdotes. Right. Which is too bad because, I mean, I did glean a little bit of like, I think, I um, can't remember which which bear it was who was basically saying Vic Morrow was kind of a kind of a difficult presence. Oh, uh, Brent, Brent, I know that I read probably uh, Brandon Cruz was talking about. Oh, Brandon about, Cruz. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. He was like, he was just kind of a, he didn't want to be there and right. he was, but maybe he was just methody. Yeah. Because he's fucking hilarious in this movie. And I don't think of Vic Morrow as a comic actor at all. Right. But he deploys that mahogany tan and uh-huh. that voice and that just that effortless kind of embodiment of the character is so fucking funny. And uh, hats off to the cast and, uh, costume designer. Uh, Vic Morrow's wardrobe is <laughs> the best. I was thinking last night, and I was thinking, that's why I was inspired to think that, you know, someone needs to do a capsule collection of clothing inspired by this movie. Tatum O'Neill's outfit after right. she loses the air hockey game uh-huh. <laughs> is insane. Like if you if you had that now, that would be like a high value couture uh, item. Yeah. She's wearing like an embroidered uh, shirt with matching flared trousers that has the matching embroidery going down the sides. The clothes in this movie, the t-shirts, flat track racing t-shirt that Kelly Leak is wearing, uh-huh. like. Isn't it a part of our 70s childhood to think of those T-shirts that we wore? Right, With, like, yeah. the heavy iron-on uh-huh. kind of thing? Yeah. Oh, my God. There were a couple of kids that, uh, I think it's Toby, where is wearing a Budweiser T-shirt. Yeah. Another, another kid has a Coors T-shirt. <laughs> I know. I was remembering, like, that was part of, that, that was part of, like, kid culture in a weird way. Like, beer brands. Like, the kid is wearing a Budweiser yeah. logo shirt. Right. For kids. He's not, it's not an adult shirt. Engelberg has a Budweiser <laughs> hat. But, and... Uh, I had a huge beer can collection at the time. Sure. It was That a, was an acceptable thing to do as a totally kid. totally encouraged. Uh, yeah. <laughs> friends of my parents would bring, like, oh, I got this, you know. Sure, I got a youngling porter right, for you, uh, Bernie. That both my brother and I had big beer can pyramids in our bedrooms. <laughs> and they uh, never seen anything weird of, like, that. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? What do you yeah. think is going on with beer can collecting amongst kids in the 70s? My brother and I had, we both had big beer can mm-hmm. pyramids in our bedrooms. We had mm-hmm. separate bedrooms. And someone had given us each a Foster's can. Mm. Uh, An one, oil can, as they called it. Right. They were, it was a bigger can, so it didn't fit in the pyramid. Mm-hmm. So we 
both put them on the top of the pyramid and we had to tape it to the wall to get it to, uh, to be part of the pyramid. And when my brother and I would have fights with each other, Oof. one of us would run into the other one's room, pull a can out of the oh. bottom so the uh, so the, the base would the, collapse. The, the, the collapse, and then you know anybody that would do that, then there would, the the Foster's can would still be taped to the wall. Wow. Um, yeah, that's such a. I I don't even know how I I had beer can collection too. I want to say almost kind of up to high school. Age, <laughs> I think like not not even drinking beer then. Right. But it definitely was. It wasn't like a high school thing. It was more like something you got into in grade school. Like oh, third no, grade, you know, I, I did grade, it. I did it when grade. I was like seven, eight. Yeah. yeah. What a weird, I don't I know. know. What, maybe this was like a brilliant meta marketing thing that the beer industry did because maybe looking at this movie, you're right that there was clothing that had beer logos on it. That's not a thing anymore. So may, maybe this was like part of, you know, it's the way like cigarette companies left to their own will totally market right. to children. Yeah. You know, I mean, this movie could have been sponsored by uh, a beer company looking to inculcate a new generation. Uh-huh. Because even when Buttermaker hands out all the beers to the kids uh, when they lose the championship game, no one's really batting an eye amongst right, the other the parents right. or the adults that are there. Yeah. But I don't remember. Maybe in Chicago. I mean, if, if ever there's a location where you're going to be handed beer as a kid, I would imagine it would be Chicago. I, that, no? I, that, I, I don't remember that or anything <laughs> like that. I don't, I, don't, I don't remember a kid getting hit. Even though like there were a lot of like mean dads, yeah, and I, I don't you don't remember it. getting kid, or you no, do remember? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Uh, and I, and I, I don't remember beer getting passed out okay. at, at games, but yeah, Buttermaker drinks a wide variety of beers throughout right. the movie. He doesn't. He's not a one brand loyalist. <laughs> right. There's got to be something behind that. It, I don't know if it was like the product placement? production designer or product placement, or uh, but yeah, he. He has a Mickey's big mouth. He has at a one Mickey's point. big mouth. Yeah, I mean, it really is like if you are into. 1976 <laughs> beer can design. Uh, it's a great movie yeah, for you. Right. Yeah, because his Budweiser is not the can we would know today, the right. aluminum can. It's the, I don't know what those were made of. Yeah, it was a tin can. Or like, I don't really, I mean, it's, like, a, it's, a, it's not shaped. Yeah. It's not curved. It's like straight up. It's to straight the top. square. Yeah. And it has the pull, the, the pull tab that you right. could like basically commit suicide <laughs> right, with if right. you wanted to. So here's a quote for you that I thought was really good by Christian Red from the Daily News in 2016, which is probably the article you read. Right. He said, quote, what unfolds on the screen from there is a journey equal parts hilarious and profane, irreverent and shocking, heart-tugging and authentic. And when they asked some of the cast members in this article kind of what it was about it that made the movie special, a lot of them said that it was real. It's the it's the mm-hmm. truthfulness of it. That, right. That's kind of like when I watch it now and I'm like, God, why is this so good? Why is this so original? It's just simply because it's truthful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't know why that's always so surprising uh-huh. in a movie and so refreshing and powerful, but oh, it right. is. Yeah. Have, has, uh, how old is your kid? She's eight. Okay. So she has probably not seen it. She was watching, uh, when she was refusing to go to bed last night, she came up and was watching about the last half hour with me. Okay. Um, and I was kind of like, oh, geez, I hope we don't hear. Cause there are a couple, <laughs> as we know, there, right. there are a few, there's, there's a couple lines which would not exist in a movie today using right. ethnic pejoratives, yes. let's say. Yeah. Played for comic effect. Right. So I was hoping that well, – luckily, those had all happened earlier in the movie. So she didn't hear anything too untoward. Okay. Yeah, I uh, took our daughter to see it maybe two years ago. Like in a re- – was it re-released or playing yeah, it somewhere? was at Film Forum. They oh, have like nice. Sunday morning Oh, yeah. The Sunday kids. morning kids movie, yeah. Right. Uh, and <laughs> – What yeah, did they had- do with that section that I'm talking about? Did they leave that in? Oh, Yeah. Really? So we had it, yeah. Uh, I'm kind of you know, 
before the movie said, "Yeah, you're going to hear something stuff that like even by 1976 standards was yeah. not cool." And yeah, just be prepared. And um, this is a tough moment to bring your daughter. I mean, you want her to love this movie the way you did. So, right. how was the reaction? I I I, I wasn't like. I knew that there w- that it was a good chance that she wouldn't be into it. Right. Um, but she was totally entertained until the movie's like an hour and 40 minutes mm-hmm. and the last half hour is the baseball game. Yeah. It was when it got, got into that game. I think she, f- I could tell that she felt like she was actually just watching a baseball game and she was like, yeah, uh, what, I can see what, that. How long is this going to go on? Although, as we said, so many of the shifting emotions and climates going on in that baseball game are so, Really impressively handled uh, by Michael Ritchie, the director. Yeah, that it's really that it's good. But yeah, you don't have the fun. Plus, I mean, my kid has never sat through a baseball game. <laughs> like it's uh, it's it was a lot to ask. Oh, Bernie, I, I would assume since you have your scorebook that you would have taken her to some Mets games and teach taught her how to keep uh-huh, score. No, no? I, I haven't done that yet. I haven't done no, that. It's probably. But Bernie, the whole point of having a child is up. brainwashing them into your own right. interests. Yeah. Oh, you're one of those parents that lets her have her own interests. I know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what is this? This looks uh, well, impressive. I brought my uh, oh my copy of uh, nineteen seventy summer seventy six Dynamite magazine as my oh, uh, your copy. Uh, yes. Hmm. So let's get into a little interesting story here. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Um, so Bernie and I were both uh, sort of co- collectors of right. pop cultural ephemera, and a few years ago, I think I happened to mention to Bernie. I don't know how. I think I I had purchased a fairly complete set of Dynamite magazines on eBay. And is that true? Yeah. Okay. I used to have them in my binders here, but I moved my a lot of my pop right. cultural ephemera to storage. So I had some bound original copies of Dynamite magazine. And I think through that, you and I started talking maybe on Facebook or something about like, oh, I too love Dynamite magazine and this, that, and the other. And I said, oh, there's some great, you know, where'd you get them? You said, you asked me where I'd gotten them. And I'll tell you the story from my perspective. Okay, you can tell right. me what really happened. So I'm telling Bernie, yeah, well, on eBay, you know, I got a batch of them. They're in pretty good shape. You know, I've got them in slipcovers. Um, I'm actually have my eye on another set of them. You should, you know, take a look at them. So the next thing I know, I go back on to eBay to, to snap up this last remaining trove of Dynamite magazines. Guess what? Bernie bought them, right? right. You're kind of like in this analogy, <laughs> okay, uh, I'm Michael Jackson. Uh-huh. You're Paul McCartney. No. I'm Paul I'm McCartney. Jackson, right. you're, my, you're Michael Jackson. I'm Paul McCartney. And I come to you, right? Doesn't Paul McCartney famously go to Michael Jackson yeah. about for some advice about whether he should purchase right. the early part of the Beatles catalog? And the next thing that Paul McCartney knows is he makes the call to make the purchase and he's informed, oh no, I'm sorry, Michael Jackson just outbid you for that. I suppose Michael knew I was trying to sort of get control of him. And I kind of thought he was joking. I, I used to work with him and, and I, he'd say, I'm going to get your record, you know. I'm going to get, no, he's going, I'm going to get your songs. I'm going to buy your songs. And I'd say, <laughs> love it. You know, I thought it was a joke. Anyway, he ended up doing that. So, I mean, I can't sort of blame him. You know, they're, they're on the market. Right. You Michael Jackson'd me on uh-huh. the Dynamite magazines. Is that true? Is that a true telling of the story? Parts of that are true, <laughs> but... What's your recollection? My recollection is that it, it, uh, it wasn't Dynamite magazine. It was Spy magazine. Okay, that's true. You're right. You're right. <laughs> You're right. And... My records. <laughs> this should get edited out, I think. But uh, are you kidding? This is what I live for, Bernie. <laughs> um, uh, is that we were working on a show, and that we that we were part of the direction we were given was to emulate something from Spy Magazine. This is my recollection of it, and I had 
I had passed that information along to you. Okay. But when – and I I already had a bunch of spy magazines sure. including the, <laughs> the – a set of the fr- – from the first year. Yep. And – The best year. Right. And I passed along uh, to you that that – Spy Magazine was something that we were being asked to take, take inspiration mm-hmm. from from the show. And that I was started looking, like, for anything like that, that I started looking uh, at it uh, on eBay. Mm-hmm. Then you told me that you were looking at it on eBay. I, I had already <laughs> been. You bid a certain amount for this set. Right. And then it was getting close to it being – the auction being done. And my memory is that, that you you had been outbid. And that, yeah, by you. No, no, no. <laughs> and, that, and that I out that I outbid the person that outbid you. So you could argue that I should just have given them to you, or I should have called you and say, "Hey, you're getting outbid." Uh, I did. So I love know, this. I, I this is my favorite it. thing. I, but uh, uh, so, I thought this only happened a few years ago. I'm pretty sure. No, I'm pretty sure this happened. I don't think we were working together on it. No, 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 yeah. Are you sure we were working on something in VH1? Yeah. I don't know about that, Bernie. Was there eBay well, back in the VH1 days? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on. This is where your story is falling apart. Or you were the one that s- said it was from Dynamite magazine. So I call your whole Well, uh, okay. <laughs> that is true that I misrecollected. <laughs> I'm just trying to see when it started. Uh, founded in 1995. Okay. So well, I my recollection is that this happened more, something more like four or five years ago. No way. <laughs> yeah. Wait. So then do you remember what I did uh, after I outbid you? I do remember. Yes. You did something kind. I gave you the whole first- uh, You did. Which, First year. Which is really, that's kind of the only year to really, if you're going to collect Spy Magazine. So, but I, I do, I do, you know, I do have a certain amount of guilt for that. <laughs> no, uh, but then you sent me many, I think you sent me, well, okay, so then I think what I, mean, I, and, and, I think in, by the way, the I first, tried to do the thing where I, where I, where even though you snatched away this prize that I wanted, I think the next thing that happened was I recall purchasing for you a obscure Cubs autographed photo. Do you recall that? Uh, my memory is that it, it was years later uh-huh. that that I had posted something about that there was a, a check. Correct. Uh, that, that, like an incredibly weird piece of baseball memorabilia, a pitcher for the Cubs, Milt Pappas, uh, who pitched a no-hitter, that they had – his checks that were written, right. uh, it was like kitten checks that were written to Publish, Publisher's Clearinghouse. <laughs> and I just thought it was such an oddball thing that right. I posted on eBay saying like, please, somebody outbid me on this. <laughs> and that you bought it for, it was like super, super generous. I still have yeah. it. I thought it was like, you know. I think I even got you a Lucite things. collectible right. check yep. yeah. thing at the time. Now, were um, we working together then? I don't think so. Hmm. You, know, you must be right about the spy thing. I'm sure you have a better memory than I do. Uh, but I do, I do. I but I kind of think have... we should bring this back. I think outbidding each other on eBay for pop cultural ephemera that probably you and I are the only two people interested in is a good little lifelong kind of ba- uh-huh. uh, ballet to participate right. in, you know? And and look, like, where are my spy magazines? They're in storage, right? Am I enjoying them daily? No. You have a Dynamite magazine. I was a big Dynamite subscriber yeah. as a kid. And so this, what... was a, this was came to my address in Dalton, where my family lived in 1976. There's a profile... Uh, called a date with Tatum. It was uh, she was promoting Bad News Bears. Okay, who's she on a date with? Uh, I guess Looks it like means her like her father, <laughs> uh, which was a little strange, but okay. So it says uh, we visited Tatum on the Sandlot where Bad News Bears, her latest movie, was being filmed. In it, she plays a girl pitcher on a boys' baseball team. But even Tatum admits that as a pitcher, she's way out in left field. After two weeks of batting practice, she struck out. 
In the film, you'll see Tatum doing wind-ups and close shots, but in long shots, the throwing will be done by two doubles, both boys in wigs. So a little inside information mm-hmm. for the Dynamite uh, readers Reader, at yep. the time. Then later on the set for Bad News Bears, Tatum kept to herself most of the time. I'm the only girl in the movie, and boys my age don't like girls much. I'm not having a lot of fun on this movie, but I enjoy acting sometimes. It's hard work, but it's something to do. Now, that really bummed me. Like the you, you didn't know, like it, hearing that. No, it's like you think you know this this thing. It's like you go into this movie for two hours and you think it's like the most magical thing, mm-hmm. and you know you imagine that it, the making yes. of it is like this Just incredible experience. joy for everyone. And then in a in a, <laughs> in a, in a, in a kid magazine. <laughs> To hear that Tatum O'Neill is like, eh, I, no, I, I, you know, it really, like, for a while. Like, but don't you think that that sort of dynamite bringing you the the truth? Like, you might not want to hear it, but maybe it's good for you to hear that right. as a kid. No, it know? was. They There was something similar where I was a really big fan of all of the Disney live action Kurt Russell movies when I was a kid. Have you seen those? Kurt Russell live action Disney. Like, oh, you got you to watch them. I mean, you're talking like before, is, is this like post-Escape to Witch Mountain era? Before, yes. Late 60s, early oh, you're 70s. you're talking about kid Kurt Russell. Like no? early 20s, late teens. Well, what are some of them? Barefoot Executive, where he works at a TV station, and he finds a chimpanzee that can pick popular TV shows. He's gonna make it right to the top. That crazy moving, grooving kid who just won't stop. He's gonna rearrange the good old status quo And get it all together with the things he's got to know He's gonna make it, he's gonna make it He's gonna take this cock-eyed world and shake it He's gonna show them he's a winner in the end With a little bit of luck And a little bit of barefoot friend Oh, right. Uh, okay. Computer wore tennis shoes, World's Strongest Man. To me, those were like the best movies. Well, he's got to be a child in this, no? How old's Kurt Russell in 1969? Is he is he like born in 45 or something? <laughs> he plays like a teenager, but he's probably huh. 20. I have no knowledge of this whatsoever. And you think these are actually good? I took my kid to the Barefoot Executive, mm-hmm. and she laughed all the way through it. Really? It's kind of flabby, but... There are laughs in it, and they're super interesting. Okay, they're you know they're from this time, like all this tension between mm. the counterculture and sure. like the fifties, yeah. and uh, you see that playing out a little bit. Interesting in, the, in these uh, Disney teen movies. But anyway, they're in one of these Scholastic uh, magazines. There was an interview with Kurt Russell, and he was saying like, "Oh yeah, I can't wait to not do these movies anymore." <laughs> I was Come like, on, what dynamite! Are you, what, what are you, you talking about? Like, what are you going to do that's better than these movies? The thing. I know. Wow. Okay, I'm going to check some of these out. I, I, this is yeah. This is like unknown to me. Uh, if, you, if you didn't see him as a kid, I don't know. But I. Uh, no, but I like this era. Like, I really right. we did um, we did Escape to Witch Mountain on the pod, and I really liked that movie as a Disney movie. It was so strange and of itself in a right. way that it sounds like probably shares a little of the DNA of the stuff you're talking about. Well, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it feels oh, like that these movies were made God. like on that lot. You know, that, Are you uh, a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood fan? Yeah, I like that movie a lot. How many times did you see it? Twice. Me too. See? I would see it a third time. Oh, I would see it a third, fourth, and fifth time. <laughs> I think Tarantino 
unfortunately says so much shit that you can never separate what's true. But like I've been told, oh, we're going to re-release it with like 40 more additional minutes of right. content. And I don't know if that's ever really happening. Probably post Oscars. Um, not, but. You know where Bad News Bears was made, where the park was? Chatsworth? Yeah. That's um, where uh, Spawn Ranch was. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, it actually is a really nice looking part of yeah. Los Angeles. I wonder if that park is still there. Have you gone to the location? No, uh, I would. Uh, every time I'm in L.A., I think like, oh, this is the time that I'm going to go to the Bad News Bears Park. And then I like look and it's, oh, it's like 10 miles away. It's a 50-minute drive. And uh, so I, I never Waze, get around. Then Waze tells you it'll take four and a half hours to get there. Right. And you're like, yeah, I guess I won't be making that. Uh, but I did read that there's a park that is that there, it was dedicated as Bad News Bears Park that's not in Chatsworth that it was a park where Bill Lancaster played Little League. Oh. But uh, so if you're listening to this and you want to go to the real Bad News Bears Park, uh, it's in Chatsworth. Oh, so that's the real one. The real one's Not in the Chatsworth, one. but there's another one that's been dedicated as to Bad, Bill Lancaster. Bad News Bears Park, but it's where, it's, where Bad, it's where Bill Lancaster played. I, I can't think of anyone else who would have two writing credits one of them is the Bad News Bears, and the other is The Thing. That is just- Have ins- you guys done The Thing on this? Yeah, we did The Thing. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, I wish Bill Lancaster was still alive to to talk about these movies and the making of. Yeah, it is weird that there isn't like, you know- Well, it's because a comedy like this isn't taken seriously enough to have that stuff usually. I mean- Yeah. I don't know. This one absolutely deserves it. I think Stanley Jaffe is still alive, the producer. Yeah. Obviously, Matt, that wasn't- I mean, Most of the kids are alive. Right. So- you could you could certainly hear some interesting things about the making of, but you know maybe some things should be yeah. a little more pure. I mean, to your dynamite story, <laughs> Bernie, like maybe we don't want to know. It's true. You know what I mean? Maybe you don't want to know sort of what what went down. All right, let's move on to your latchkey TV selections. These are fantastic, by the way. Oh, thanks. Hello. You're the only guest, Bernie who has submitted a page of Latchkey TV suggestions, which includes that you did your own links. Oh, really? I thought that was part of the assignment. No, I usually just, people tell me like the three or four shows, and then I go and look up everything. You did everything for me, which is incredible. So thank you for this. Of course, being the TV producer that you are, this is the way you did this. That's what I I love. I was like, oh, yeah. should have more TV producers on the pod because Uh then they do most of the work. This is... Ray Rayner and Friends. Good morning, folks. Wow, what a what a pan. It's Friday. It's Friday, the 16th of May. Happy birthday if this is your birthday, and uh, we'll talk to Tom uh, Tom uh, or Raj. Uh, Tom is in is Raj out of town? We think, we think. Uh, one of our two ace meteorologists here at uh, WGN TV and radio. So WGN was a big deal. Yeah. As a kid, right? Oh, yeah. The Cubs were on WGN. They had, you know, Bozo, Garfield Goose, Ray Rayner. So kind of your after-school TV programming was all kind of just putting on WGN? Channel uh, 9? It was on a lot. It wasn't exclusive, but Ray Rayner was actually on before school. Oh, uh, really? He's in a, a morning show for yeah. kids. Wow. And you were allowed to watch that? Every morning I would set my alarm for 6.20, so I'd be able to get in an hour's worth of uh, TV before I went to school. Wow, kudos to your parents. But I would set my alarm, get up at 6.20, make breakfast, 
get in front of the TV by 6.50. At 6.50, it was the test pattern. Watch the, watch the test pattern for about five minutes. <laughs> then at 6.55 was the farm report. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by your Case IH dealers. Hello again and welcome to U.S. Farm Report. I'm Orion Samuelson and yes, it's our annual tuxedo show because last Saturday... And, uh, Very impressive recall, Bernie. No wonder you ended <laughs> up a TV producer. Now, I, I, there's something about 70s baseball radio and television stuff that is so different than now. And it's kind of like, I can understand why I personally have kind of fallen out of uh-huh. interest in baseball. But when you play some of this stuff, like you have some clips here that we'll play a little of, of these broadcasts of um, like a 1979 Phillies Cubs game, right? Well, ladies and gentlemen, here we go to the 10th inning of an incredible game, an unbelievable game, bizarre, exciting, Phillies 23, Cubs 22. Yeah, it was when I got home from school. You wouldn't believe what, what the score is. I can't remember what it was when I got home, but the final score was the Cubs lost uh, 23 to 22 to the Phillies. <laughs> That's um, so Cubs. Yeah. As a Red Sox uh, fan, I can identify with that. The whole, like, watching those games on WGN was just so much fun. I was, you know. And what about leadoff man? WGN Chicago. How you doing, everybody? Lou Boudreau with the leadoff man, brought to you by Danley's Garage World, number one in custom-built garages with over 50,000 garages sold. Open Saturdays and Sundays till 5 p.m., open daily till 9 p.m., but closed today for the holiday. Good afternoon. That was before the game. Uh, just like the, this was like the Cubs pregame show? Right. And then a total blast from the past was Sports Phone. <laughs> Oh my God, do I remember this? Did you call Sports Phone? I don't know if I called Sports Phone, but like when I watch this commercial, I just it's like one of those relics that you watch and you're like, yes, I remember seeing this all the time on the airwaves. Well, yeah, during the height of my Cubs fandom, that you know, hopefully you would get home in time to see the end of the game. But if you didn't, if you didn't, you, you had no way to know. There was no way to know. There was, yo, when am I going to stay up? Well, you can listen to the radio, maybe. Right. Uh, yeah, and I guess that the, the, those came on. but Like whatever the 10-10 wins of Chicago. Right. When Sports Phone was introduced, <laughs> it billed itself as, you don't have to wait till the news comes on. If you want to know the latest sports scores, you can call this number. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. And I called. Cut to a month later, and Bernie's <laughs> parents are like, why do we have $650 in 50-cent phone calls? Well, I guess you only need to call once a day at the most, but that's uh, that adds uh, up. Yeah. It was probably like my family's phone bill was like, you know. <laughs> Eighteen dollars at the time, and went up to like thirty-five or something. That and they were tolerant of this. No, I, that was the end of that was the end. Sports phone. <laughs> sports phone. That's brilliant. That is brilliant. All right, what are some of the other shows you like? You wrote. Uh, I I totally forgot about this show, Hazel. <laughs> 
Oh, Hazel, your lunch is getting cold. Lunch? Oh. I think I'll skip lunch today. Hazel, don't be absurd. You have to eat lunch. You have to keep up your strength. Hazel, I only put in my list of latchkey uh, shows because it represents that I'm old enough that in the early 70s, shows that you would watch when you got home from school were not mm-hmm. like the popular shows from the 70s. Right. Uh, that they were, that I watched a lot of shows from the 50s and 60s right. that had pretty low entertainment value yes. for kids. And Hazel was something where it was just like, it was just on. It was like, all right, you know, I guess this is what I'm watching. <laughs> But it was about a maid, and there were a lot of shows like Father Knows Best sure. and Dennis the Menace. Yeah, all these shows that like they weren't funny, mm-hmm. they weren't really entertaining. But they were there was but enough of them like, to syndicate. Oh, well, you know, I guess you know, <laughs> I, there's nothing else that I can do with my time. Uh, so we will watch and become right. expert in all of these shows. Yeah. And what about the three thirty movie? Was that specific to Chicago? Channel 7 in Chicago had a weekday movie. and uh, with, with this being their logo? Yes. Wow. So that's where, like, they they played. That's pretty great. The, the Beatles movies and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I started getting into movies. This is a little trippier, a little countercultural starting right. to seep in here a little uh-huh. bit, right? My family would get the Sunday paper that had, like, the local version of TV Guide. Mm-hmm. I think it was called TV Preview. Mm-hmm. Get that out, go through. <laughs> What are the, what, what's going to be on the 3.30 movie this week? Most of them sucked. I like, oh, uh, Would you highlight? I wouldn't highlight, but it was like, oh, you, you know, remember. Oh, Hard Day's Night's going to be on? Great. Like, I'm going to yep. yeah, I'm gonna watch that. Wow. Um, God, big TV childhood, Bernie. Oh, oh, my God, yeah. I mean, when people talk about, you know, back then, the average person watched like yeah. eight hours of TV, and you would think like, how's that possible? You're only awake. You're like, know? totally possible. There's like, I, I definitely drove the average up. I would. Yeah, I watch TV when I got up. Yeah, that's it. I don't think I've never heard anyone say that. Uh, as soon as I got home from school, watch it, in, and then until my parents made me go to bed. Yeah, so it's like I would say something around like two thirty, three o'clock to six or dinner time, straight through. Usually back to back kind of half hour sitcoms or whatever's on right. in the afternoon, yeah. and then, well, and then you ended up in the business yourself. Yeah, not surprising, I suppose. <laughs> I guess. Well, Bernie, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, This was a a great trip down a lot of memory lanes. I'm going to be very excited to put this episode together because you gave me a lot of amazing fodder here to play great clips and uh, reminisce about a fantastic movie in Bad News Bears. So thanks again. Cool. Thanks for having me. Sure. Sure. 